0: This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of, you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that that helps patients with diseases. Life 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 saving. Well, I'm very excited about this episode of Lab Rats to Unicorns, where we discuss the journey behind the science, the journey behind innovation, the individuals that pioneer the work with a goal to really try to humanize and demystify the path to bringing life-saving innovations to large markets and underserved populations alike. I am really just overjoyed and thrilled with our guests for the show today. I'm joined by Dr. Stacy Lindau, who is NowPow's founder and chief innovation officer, and Rachel Kohler, who is the CEO of NowPow. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining today.
1: Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: I'm particularly excited to have this conversation because I have had the opportunity to be part of the journey of NowPow from the very early days and beginning to the current state. And I'm really excited to get into the story behind NowPow, but also peel back the onion a little bit around the challenges that go with building a very successful enterprise like NowPow. And how you balance all of things that happen in life along the way, and and carry forward and and deliver, and it's it's really an honor and privilege to speak with each of you today because uh, we're just on the heels of some very exciting news that you can talk a little bit about with regards to uh, palace recent acquisition, and and we'll get into that in a few minutes as well. But if we could, I would like to begin the conversation by each of you giving a little bit of background on yourself and kind of what was your journey to lead into the beginning of NowPow. Talk a little bit about what, you know, put you on the path over your career to be in that position where you had the opportunity to, to take that step into launching NowPow. Um, maybe, Stacy, I'll start with you.
1: Well, Rachel knows I like to tell stories and I could go all the way back to my beginnings in Detroit, but I won't go that far back. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I never really thought about that. I never thought myself an entrepreneur. But after more than a decade of life as a professor at the University of Chicago, where my job is to, in addition to seeing patients, bring in resources from the National Institutes of Health and other sources to conduct science. Well, this is an incredibly entrepreneurial pursuit. The competition for federal funding is exceedingly high, most of the funding lines at NIH are below 12%, meaning 88% of the applications are rejected. And it was actually an opportunity that came from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which as a consequence of the Affordable Care Act, built an innovation center. The nation's largest insurer built an innovation center and put out a call for ideas that would promote health, help to control the cost of health care, and in addition to those things, create jobs. We applied for a Healthcare Innovation Award from the University of Chicago in 2011, and the idea was to save money in the healthcare system by systematically connecting people to community-based supports, resources in the community, that could offset the problem of hunger or transportation difficulties or childcare problems. And the thesis was that if we could inject the every healthcare encounter with the resources of a person's community, we could help people do what we all want to do, which is live healthy independent lives and stay out of the doctor's office. So we were funded with that innovation award in 2012 and one of the key expectations was that innovators would deliver back to the taxpayers a sustainable business model if the idea proved worthy. And it was two years in before I started getting calls at my lab at the University of Chicago from health systems and others who heard about what we were doing, asking, what does it cost and how do I get it? And it was at this point and with planning around a sustainable business model that it was clear to me we needed to create an entity to carry this work forward. I was pinch-hitting To help a colleague at the McLean Center for Clinical Medical Ethics at the University of Chicago. She was supposed to give a two hour seminar tomorrow, (laughs) you know, the next day, and she needed somebody to fill in for her. So I raised my hand and said, I'll fill in, and I'm gonna talk about the ethics of sustaining this idea. And I went to teach my seminar, and there was Rachel Kohler, a student. So I'll let her pick it up from there.
0: That's perfect. A good segue. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you know, I I am a trustee at the University of Chicago. I am a trustee at the Medical Center. I chair the McLean Center for Medical Ethics. And so I share a deep passion for community, especially our South Side community. And um, I, too, come from an entrepreneurial family. I have a for-profit and non-profit entrepreneurs in my lineage. But I also am, a, I think, a serial problem solver, kind of like Stacey Lindau, and, and a risk taker. So what brought me to that room really was... You know, four career chapters as a junk bond investment banker, an operations consultant, a general manager in my family business, and also, you know, just as I said, a deep desire to create change and work on big societal problems. And I was captivated by Stacy's story of Community RX and really, you know, thought I could help her bring her vision to life of helping people get well, stay well, care for others um, in the communities that most need our work.
0: It's a perfect match. And, you know, you talk about this concept around really kind of preventing people from going to the doctor's office. So wellness. I'm just curious as you go, you know, in and, and dissect what brought you into medicine, for example, um, early in your career, what were some of the driving factors that led you to go down that pathway, especially as you fast forward to these early days in Naupau of thinking about wellness and preventative care and going toward the broader Community. Any insights around what you've said? Your family of entrepreneurs—were right. uh, they all in medicine, or were they different areas, uh, uh, different industries? What do you think puts you down the path toward impact through health?
1: You know, when I when I think about the family of entrepreneurs, and like Rachel, uh, both in the for-profit and nonprofit space, the picture that comes to mind is one. It's a photograph that sits in my office at the University of Chicago, and it's my grandma and grandpa whose business was a five and dime store. Which, if you're old, younger than a certain age, you don't even know what a five. Because <laughs> right. no, what is even a five? Right. You know? um, a nickel and dime store right. in downtown Detroit. They um, that was their livelihood, and they sold everything, probably from candy bars and cigarettes to lampshades and yeah. you know. So there were some physician entrepreneurs in my family. My father is a physician and ran his own business for his whole career. I would say I was surprised, at, as anyone, to find myself on the medicine path and certainly on the entrepreneurial path. I was a public servant. I intended to be a teacher. I studied secondary education and political science. I had a minor in history at the University of Michigan. And I, I went looking for my first job uh, in New York City pre-internet. So the way we found jobs, as you all remember then, is, you know, you wrote- at the five and dime, right? <laughs> 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 at the five and dime. You put your resume on ecru linen paper and printed hundreds and put them in envelopes and sent them to businesses that you found. And, and for me, it was the book of associations. It was an encyclopedia in the library at the University of Michigan. And, and I was looking for jobs in the nonprofit sector or the education sector. Well, I didn't know until I showed up in New York City that there was a hiring freeze in the public sector <laughs> because you don't know that till you show up. Sure, right. And I had had some television production experience. I ended up with a job at the Wall Street Journal in their television division, which was a great place to start. But it was a place where all day long I stared at the tickers. I, I was looking at numbers all day long with the little up arrows and the down arrows, and my job was to report to the world why gold was up, why oil was down. I found it very hard to make sense of those numbers. Hmm. And for, of course, as a young woman from the Midwest on Wall Street, I assumed it was me. I just didn't understand the numbers. But I had a couple of formative, transformative experiences, I think it's fair to say, where I finally decided, you know what? I think I know right. Like I think these numbers actually don't make a whole lot of sense, and the way we're explaining them is it's just not my passion in life to, to tell people why gold is up and they should or shouldn't buy it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I realized I, that I, I had an inner scientist, and I had a couple of friends who had gone back to school from liberal arts majors to medicine, mm. and I uh, never failed to appreciate how enormously privileged I am that I was able to go back to school do my pre-med studies at Bryn Mawr College in Philadelphia area and become a physician. And I came to medicine really with the idea that I was a servant of the public. I would be able to teach, which was my original plan, uh, and that I was interested not just in disease, but people, caring for whole people. And those early impulses and actually a lot of exposure to geriatricians, doctors who take care of old people. In medical school, I think put me on a journey of understanding what I can do as a physician to keep people well, to keep people functioning, to keep people whole. And anyone who thinks a lot about this knows that that work has to go well beyond the prescription pad or the procedure Mm -hmm. uh, that a holistic approach to caring for people requires understanding how people spend their time in their daily lives and what people can do to best care for ourselves. Nobody wants to be dependent on the government, on somebody else. Humans are programmed to be independent people. And um, and so those are the confluence, I think, of factors that, that so led me cool. down this uh, yeah, path. Yeah,
0: I never knew about those origins. So that's a great, I mm-hmm. uh, love hearing about that, uh, the, the journey, You know, even predating um, your decision to move into medicine. Yeah. And Rachel, kind of thinking about similarly, the DNA that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, you come from the lineage, I think was the mm-hmm. word that you used around a family of of entrepreneurs. Were there any kind of early elements through your, you know, schooling or experiences growing up that triggered your passion or ideas and insights around, in your case, impact not only through, you know, working for for-profit enterprises, but also all the things you've been engaged in in your leadership around impact on not-for-profit institutions. Were there any early experiences you had or anyone in your family perhaps that inspired or, or triggered your movement down that pathway?
2: Well, I would say um, both my father and my aunt are um, deeply passionate about community building and, you know, access uh, for our community residents to engage either in a more gracious lifestyle or expose themselves to things beyond, you know, what they would normally consider their means. So I grew up, you know, with two people who are very passionate about making the world a better place through each of their activities. For me, I did not have a passion for healthcare. Um I did see as an employer though the huge cost that healthcare was having on communities and also the fact that we were seeing really lousy results and you know that was very very prominent in the in the community i grew up in but also in in the ones i've i've you know come to live in as an adult but for me it was actually really more about the technology i had implemented sap around the world about 5 times when i was with my family business and i saw the power that technology could bring to processes to supply chains to enhance you know the consumer experience and that actually is what compelled me with with respect to stacy's work and that you could combine her expertise as a physician as well as you know the Ideas around how technology could transform the lives of people—that you know was so compelling. But I also would say that my three kids were in the back of my head because I'm not sure if you have the same experience. But my young adults are very socially minded, and they're generally disappointed in our generation. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know wanting us to do better, and so I think. I got to a point in my fifties where I thought, you know, I've I've done all of these professional chapters that have made me a really good problem solver. I understand how to build a business, and I understand the power of technology. Can I put it all together mm-hmm. to really, you know, create the impact for underserved communities and and people who really need it the most?
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and I, I'm sure that was of appeal to the strong and outstanding, talented team that you were able to build. Over time, yeah. I definitely can relate to what you're talking about. Where, you know, our next generation is very interested in being a part of organizations right. that are making impact, mm-hmm, right. and they look at it much more holistically. I think maybe our prior generation, you know, my my parents mm-hmm. and you know that demographic, mm-hmm. uh, were all civically minded, mm-hmm. but they kind of put. Each mm-hmm. thing apart from each other, yep. um, they were interested in their community and being engaged in trying to move mm-hmm. you know for the greater good, right. but they kind of separated each of those, mm-hmm. so you know my dad worked at inland steel for thirty eight mm-hmm. years, and right. you know that was kind of the pathway mm-hmm. and but he served on you know, not for profit mm-hmm. boards and conservation and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. they were both separate from each other. It mm-hmm. was a steel company on one hand that had it, you know, profit making as right. its objective, but their, you know, executive leadership was doing things in civic organizations, but it was very separate. Yeah. This mm-hmm. generation wants it all right in one place. And they don't want to be part of something. They're they're very actively um and aggressively, I think, doing deeper diligence around where they even enter the workforce and how they're determining what their arc looks like. And success for them, it seems to me, um, is measured through many different metrics than well, even our generation. And they can
2: sniff out lip service, too, yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah. So you can't just talk about purpose, right. you actually have to deliver it, yeah. or they're not going to stay engaged. Yeah,
0: agreed. Well, th- so let's go back then. Now we are in the stages where you you know you've, your research has produced some good results. You know, you've got the taxpayers on your mind, you're trying <laughs> to <laughs> make good on the promise to take this idea and, you know, impact taxpayers in, in in a, in a positive way, um, you decided to form NowPow. Talk a little bit about the beginnings of Naupau. What were some of the early inspirations and what were some of the early hesitations or obstacles that mm-hmm. stood in your way as you got things off the ground?
2: Well, I think Stace should talk first about why we decide where we put Nowpow.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. and our name, of course. Right. So, so Nowpow is a play on words. Knowledge is power is a, a favorite phrase of ours, and certainly our technology and our business was about putting into the hands of people. The information, the knowledge they needed to care best for themselves and the people they love, and so I still love NowPow. I love our name. We made a, a key factor in my and Rachel's early dating days, <laughs> and and I, I think a, a key lesson learned that I would, you know, a lesson that I would share with other early entrepreneurs is to really vet the people you're, you're you'll partner with. Rachel brought rigor to that process, and I think we had a high level of confidence from early on because of that process that we would be effective partners. And I, I can't say enough how important it is to have had a formal process, and I think a lot of people don't. You
0: know? It's a common mistake, I think, yeah. You know, especially if you're developing things in healthcare, typically you need a team, right? Yeah. It's not going to be one person that can... Take that idea all the way to the marketplace. So collaboration, multidisciplinary backgrounds, you're going to involve, you need partners, right? Yes. And, and so I, I've observed many times where, you know, that innovator is, you know, on one hand, they've been working on an idea for 20 years, and they're so careful about how they've gone about that work and not thinking about all the care that should be going into the next phase and who are you going to be working with and who are you passing the baton to in running a process in a way, whether it's formal or just rigorous, however you define the pathway to get to that outcome. It can be a critical uh, mistake that's made right out of the gates that often leads to a good idea that just didn't get to the market.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And and so there's there's both a set of qualities of a person, of how you think, how you work, that, you know, we carefully examined and, and ensured, you know, or at least optimized for compatibility. And then there's also the spiritual part of the business. You know, it was extremely important to me especially once the decision was made that for this business to grow and thrive, it needed to be a for-profit business. It would have been a lot easier for me and more consistent with who I thought I was for this to be a not-for-profit business. But I I studied the issue and I came to believe that it had to be a for-profit company if it were going to survive. But it was very important to me that the company be located in the community where the ideas were created and the work that happened in my lab at the University of Chicago, you know, the, the 5 to 10 years of work was deeply engaged with community-based organizations, leaders, concerned residents, people who really joined hands to say, we want to do work that will boost the health and the economic vitality of this community, and we want to do this work in a way that will benefit other communities like ours. So i, I it was an early conversation where I said to Rachel, it's critical to me that we put our headquarters here in this community. And to my knowledge, we were the first and maybe still the only faculty-founded company to headquarter on the south side of Chicago. Certainly, a nationally serving company to headquarter there. And Rachel and I not only agreed on that, but it really had an influence on who came to work with us and who didn't. Sure. You know, I, Rachel could probably. It was say like more a sorting
2: that. mechanism, right? So you know, they had to really want to work with us in order to to make the journey down to Hyde Park yeah. every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, but that's authenticity, right? I mean, you're in in a way you know your market and the importance of kind of bringing the market in early. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a sense, you were dropping right into that market, Mm -hmm. and you're very authentic by saying we're we're part of you, and and you're part of us.
1: Right? I mean, there's what you know when you think about what companies can do to benefit the, the communities they serve putting your headquarters in a, in the community where where people where you're creating tax base you're creating jobs uh, by locating on the south side of Chicago I think we availed ourselves to talent that might not otherwise have known about us to me that that's a the most, the first gift a for-profit business can give back is to locate the business in a community where jobs are needed, where tax base is needed, and that's a lesson I would carry forward for any subsequent business.
2: I would just say the next big decision we made was to be part of an accelerator. So for us, it was Polsky when you were there, John. I think anybody who's going to be working with Portal will have the same incredible experience because one of the challenges, and you ask about obstacles, is just the a huge number of decisions you have to make when you're starting out, you know, whether it's just how are you going to do the accounting? How are you going to do the, I mean, all the basic business processes have to get formed and that can be overwhelming in the early days. And um, being able to access an ecosystem of people that can help you through that was, was critical for us.
0: Yeah, and I think also, too, what you find is you're trying to bring an innovation forward, the just the unknown frictions that you're going to face, the headwinds mm-hmm. that face you as you begin that, that journey. And so being right. in an environment... That is supportive. that is, lonely, kind of has your back, and it can those that are working at a similar pace as your own, or people through mentors that have done it before. I think creates a healthy, sustainable mm-hmm. uh, ecosystem that I think we definitely were able to create. You know, and and are still benefiting from as we as we think about the the nature of what we were doing and building the Polsky Center and what it was trying to mm-hmm. support. And really, everything that we were trying to do there was to support the very being of NowPow. Yes. But that sounds good on paper, but making it move forward in practice right. isn't always exactly the way it plays out, right? Yeah. So we had a just- couple
2: of other big challenges yeah. too, I'd say, <laughs> um, you know, because we were tackling a huge problem. And generally speaking, that means more complicated solutions. Yeah, And in our early days, just explaining the problem, you know, that health wasn't healthcare. And what is it? You know what are these social determinants of health? Yeah. You know was was a really really hard and um, I would come back from sales calls and call Stacy and say, "Are you sure this is a thing?" Because um, <laughs> they don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so, not only was it a challenge to just explain the problem right. to people. But then when we explained our solution, which is, oh, by the way, we have to create a digital infrastructure across an entire community in order to help people connect to the resources, you know, that will help them stay out of the ER, help them stop readmitting, you know, that's what we really needed to keep their attention. So just being able to, you know, find capital that could imagine, you know, what this solution and what this impact could be was really hard for us. And luckily, we we found Benefit Chicago, which was very patient capital for us and very committed to science and service to community, especially the community of Chicago. But I'd say really trying to find the right kind of capital for your business was something that we, yeah, we really struggled with. Money
0: is one thing, but mm-hmm. the partner behind it becomes right. really critical. Just just like you're talking about finding the right colleague mm-hmm. to verse the journey with you, and the partnership that you forged together, raising capital is also about raising partners. And you know, money is a commodity, mm-hmm. um, never easy to raise, particularly difficult with what you were pushing forward on, because in many ways you were creating a new platform. Right. right. So on one hand, I always kind of laugh too, because these. The venture capital community is known for being risk takers, but the oh, reality is, yeah,
2: right. <laughs> I say to I Stacey all the time, "Would you please find me a venture capital where risk is actually, you know, part it's of It's called their- risk
0: capital. Right, like, where right. are the risk Where's takers? Where's the venture
2: in venture <laughs> capital? <Right. laughs> that is right.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. And so, create so de- developing that early traction is uh, is very very difficult. Um, but maybe you know, if you would mind, Rachel, could you outline now Pow's platform? It would mm. be great for the listener to get a. Better feel for what ultimately became the NowPow platform, mm-hmm. and then how were you using it, and are you using it now as part of a bigger enterprise in this application around the whole concept of mm-hmm. of wellness around the community.
2: Actually, I'm going to tee that one over to Stacy, as the founder, she you know can encapsulate NowPal so beautifully, and then I'd like to really talk about what we did to find that right kind of customer in our Perfect. early days.
1: So. Interestingly, you know, when I started practicing medicine, which is now with my, if I think of my training, 25 years, medicine was a paper and pencil industry. The whole human and social services sector is still a paper and pencil industry. And in medicine, the influence that got us from paper and pencil to digital was the desire, uh, two things, one, to bill more efficiently and two, to prescribe drugs more safely And in a way that produced data that the pharmaceutical industry and the retail pharmacies could use for their businesses. So it was drug prescribing that moved this very large sector from paper and pencil to digital. And the one app, so to speak, the one outside entity that had access to the electronic medical record systems at any given health system was the app that enabled us to digitally prescribe drugs. Well, the idea, you know, for me, practicing medicine on the south side of Chicago, wide diversity of patients coming from Indiana, Northwest Indiana, from the predominantly African American black population on the south side of Chicago, from the North Shore. What I, what I realized is that many times, not once in a while, many times in the course of my caring for patients, I needed to know what were the supports of their community that they could use to manage with their illness. Most of my patients are, are all my patients are women and, and most of my patients have cancer. Well, they never had cancer before. Where's the cancer wellness center? Where do I go for a wig? What do I do about, I, I don't have time to cook and how do I get food delivered to my home? Rarely was I prescribing medicine for my patients. Mm-hmm. So why didn't I have, why couldn't I e-prescribe community? If it was a community-based supports that other science has shown it are, are the most important determinants of a person's health or their ability to manage with illness, their ability to care for others? Why wasn't that in my workflow? So the original community RX idea tested whether we could build a technology like e-prescribing of drugs that instead prescribed community. Mm -hmm. Could we integrate it into the healthcare workflow? Was this acceptable to patients and caregivers and care professionals? And we learned that it was. Everyone said, you'll never be able to integrate with the EMR systems. That's impossible. And that was absolutely wrong. It wasn't hard and it wasn't impossible. And then now, POW, took that idea, licensed the technology from the University of Chicago, and created a true multi-sided platform that integrates with healthcare workflows using the electronic medical records system to enable doctors, nurses, care managers, case managers, anyone really with access to electronic medical record to systematically match and connect people to the community-based supports that they need. And now, PAL's technology went further to make it possible for community based organizations to do the same. Because, of course, if I run a food insecurity organization, somebody who comes to me for food may very well also need housing. Mm-hmm. They may very well also need mental health services. And so, this problem of needing to connect people to community based supports was a general problem, not just in healthcare, but across communities. And I'm very proud that we built a beautiful joyful, end-user-friendly technology that made it easy to do this hard, inefficient, analog work we'd all been doing forever of trying to connect people to resources that we couldn't find, that they weren't eligible for, et cetera. And not only that, but from the very beginning, we knew that collecting data on all of these transactions would be incredibly powerful then as a tool to advocate or to enable our customers and communities to advocate for the resources that weren't there, or to improve the quality of Mm -hmm. the resources that are there. So we bring the human and social services sectors into the digital economy, and that allows for efficiency, for quality, for better matching, and hopefully healthier people and communities.
2: Yeah, it's
0: incredible. Yeah.
1: So in the
2: end, our offering was
1: the multi-sided platform, the data, the
2: insights that we can draw from this data infrastructure that Stacy so widely guided us to put under NowPath from the very beginning. And when you ask about advice, that's one thing I would absolutely say to anybody starting out is think about the data from the beginning. And the third is our network building skills. So part of a multi-sided platform, you have to bring on the, the various sides. And one of the sides was the community-based organization. So we had a whole team of people who were out there um, inspiring community organizations to get onto the platform. So for our customers, it was that three-pronged offering and you know when you when you talk about those key decisions early on, you know for us it was finding that right kind of customer as well because it is a complex uh, solution. Um, we needed pioneering customers alongside the right. the pioneering enterprise, yeah. and we really needed customers who could. Um, help us hone our business case and also be testimonial customers sure. to others. Yeah. And so we actually didn't deploy a, sort of a push strategy. It was really pull. We leveraged Stacy's Science and her leadership in the field. She would go around giving her talks on her science and then, you know, inspire people to, to learn about what we were doing. But we also had our customers out there doing the very same thing.
0: So much is talked about in entrepreneurship around the concept of customer discovery. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems to me that the very authentic way you went about understanding your customers on both sides of the marketplace in a way, too, mm-hmm. really ultimately led to what became and is now a very strong and contributing product platform that more people understand and are using and, mm-hmm. and that momentum starts to create more opportunities. But I would imagine you kind of had to iterate on that initial prototype that you thought yes, it would right. be yeah. and where it ended up, I would suppose.
2: Well, I talk about driving the car and building it all the time because we really did you know, stay very focused on our agile process, an MVP for whatever we decided to do, and then introduce it to our customers and iterate from there. And luckily, we had these very strong partners who um, were deeply invested in the work who would be able to give us feedback as we built and as we iterated. But yes, it it changed a lot since, you know, obviously the the first gen to to where we are now. Uh, Today's episode was brought to you by... World Business Chicago.
1: Connect with World Business Chicago, the city's economic development agency, and discover more about the city's vibrant life science ecosystem.
2: From Chicago's global universities and research institutions to its diverse pipeline of skilled talent and vibrant neighborhoods, as well as its cutting-edge lab and office space, Chicago has the fuel for your company's success.
1: There's no better place to build a life science company than in Chicago.
0: That's process and to what degree in the past if we fast forward to present day to what degree has the pandemic influenced mm-hmm. now pal and was that a headwind for you as you continue to try to pursue this impact that you'd been creating up until that point, or was it, did it work? Some businesses, it's been a tailwind. It is, it's yeah. actually, yeah. again, not to belittle or, or underestimate the devastating effects the pandemic has had yeah. broadly on everyone, But there are certain, you know, industry verticals where it has, to some degree, acted as a source of innovation. It's a many times crisis is what creates new innovation as well. Any comments around how the pandemic affected your growth, especially as it relates to where we are now?
2: Well, unfortunately, you know, it, it was, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, it was definitely a tailwind for us. You know, we were serving some of the largest health systems in the country, particularly in New York, New Jersey, and here in Illinois, and they were the hardest hit through the pandemic. And we had to figure out how to serve millions of patients in the face of many of the community organizations uh, shutting down or changing how they they operated. And so it was a period of huge innovation for us and partnership, very intimate partnership. We were on the phone daily with some of our largest customers trying to figure out how we could help their patients connect to the resources that we knew were actually opening and o- open and operating. And so it really magnified the imperative behind what we do. I think you only had to see the pictures of the people around the block at food right. pantries to know yes. that, yes, the social determinants of health are a real thing. And, you know, and there are significant problems and gaps in services across our communities that need to be addressed. Pandemic or not no pandemic.
0: Yeah, no, that's, no, that's, in, in, again, in, in inspirational. Um, as you think about, you know, kind of stepping forward and into that breach and addressing for even greater impact.
2: Well, and now, you know, there's in front of Congress right now, there's over 100 pieces of legislation for, you know, addressing social determinants of health. You know, CMS is approving waivers now for states to uh, reimburse for non-medical services. So what's come out of this has been a huge, huge opportunity. It's accelerating the uh,
0: opportunity for greater impact across the Underrepresented populations mm-hmm. and communities. Not mm-hmm. to complete your sentence, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it, <laughs> we can all
2: complete each other's sentences because I think you know it's it's pretty clear that you know a technology like ours was supercharged during the pandemic.
0: Well, and then if you think about where we are now, again the combination now with Unite Us talk about the. Pathway that led to the decision to partner and ultimately be acquired by Unite Us, and what that might portend for mm. the platform, and how you see the impact continuing to scale. Mm.
2: Well, I'll, I'll just jump back, though, to one thing that we did that was super, a, a super important decision for us in our journey and why, you know, I think we made a, a great strategic fit for Unitas, which was Stacey from the very beginning saying, trust is built with providers and we need to focus on providers as our primary customer base and i think through my naivete we did things like think we could contract with large customers like northwell or hackensack <laughs> and you know we really didn't quite understand what that meant but we plowed through that anyway we also integrated with ehrs at a time when that was viewed as really really challenging and so we got good at serving this this audience the the large health system mm-hmm. And it also resulted in a huge amount of data hmm. um, up until, I'd say, at the end of the summer, we had just passed a million screenings and and over three million referrals. Wow. And in the in the last three months alone, we've generated 400,000. So you can see that wow. the scale of this work sure. is, is just growing exponentially. Yeah. And so you had the pandemic, obviously supercharging it. You had now... You know the ability for large systems to do this work at scale, um, which was Stacy's dream from the very beginning, and then you had the the policy influence happening right at the same time. So policy traction starting to really catch up to the work, and then lastly, the marketplace was growing. So large players started really looking at the space. Our competitors started raising huge amounts of money. And the definition of a solution became not just what I described as the technology platform, sort of the data infrastructure and the network services, but it also started to include things like payment services and patient engagement products. And so Stacey and I realized that, you know, getting bigger in scale and scope was incredibly important and to do it fast yep. was really important and then, you know, United us knocked on our door and I was initially gonna, you know, say, really why you know, like just not even answer mm-hmm. <laughs> and stayed like, well, we should really, you know, hear what they have to say. Pay attention to that. Yes. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. And as we started to really engage. We recognized we had this amazing strategic fit between our two companies. And for us, first, it started with mission and values alignment. We are both organizations have a lot of associates who come to it with purpose. And that was a very important part of of making sure that we would have a good marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, We were in geographies that were absolutely complementary. We were in places that they weren't. They were in places where we weren't. Our products were incredibly complementary. We were good at certain things, and they were good at others. And where we had made roadmap investments was completely complementary. So you could literally see how 1 plus 1 equals 10 at the end of the day. Sure. And then really the last thing that put it over the edge for us was um, they purchased Carrot Health, which was an analytics company, I'd say the leading analytics company in the SDOH space. And because we had generated so much data with our customers, the combination of what we were being able to do at scale and what Carrot Health could do and what Unitas was doing was really an exciting an exciting Proposition. yeah that 's
0: awesome no, and congratulations on that process and you know where you are currently with that process and i 'm just curious having gone through similar transitions of achievement of a milestone, but at the same time it 's a transition. How has that affected the way you're feeling right now? I mean, there's an emotional element to it, right? I mean, entrepreneurship in the beginning, it's the company is you. Uh, Over time, it becomes a full team. And so people come and work as part of your team. You've got hundreds of employees now that are identifying and are defining now through their own lens. (laughs) But in the very beginning, it's it 's both of you, how are you transitioning your psychology as you think about this wonderful outcome, knowing the impact that'll we'll have for much broader populations, but for you you're transitioning I would imagine how does that feel
1: you know i there are a couple of points I would make here one is I, I'm trained as an obstetrician, and when people asked me about moving community rx the proof of concept out of the lab and into the real world as a for-profit venture how did I feel I said I felt like I had delivered a baby and I had handed it off to parents who I knew you know because we um, I'd been caring for them all along and uh, that I would you know unlike most obstetricians I would have the opportunity to continue to be involved in in this in this new venture this is a different feeling because in this case, you know, I said, "Wow, the baby really went off to college quickly." Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it wasn't very long. It was five or six years yes. of, of independent operation. It was a very fast growth trajectory. Yeah. Um, you know, again, we did our vetting, and I agree with Rachel. There are just tremendous potential, tremendous potential for scale and impact in the decision we made to be acquired by Unite Us. But it is, it's less hands on. You know, mm-hmm. we're very important to the transition process. Very important to us to uh, that our workforce had a good, smooth, and exciting, positive transition to the new business. And I think we've achieved that. But at some point, Rachel and I will become largely superfluous, and we'll we'll move on to our rearing our next child, I suppose. The other piece for me goes back to the question you asked about the pandemic. So the pandemic did help everyone, even venture capitalists, understand what it means to be dependent on the resources of your community in order to stay well and manage through crisis. So that what are you doing question quickly became, you know, how are you doing and how fast and how big can you do it? Interesting. The other piece, you know, we had major reckoning for many people in this country of the issues of race and racism during the pandemic and these two things really intersected. For me, that touched deeply on why I'm a physician on the south side of Chicago and why I choose to do the scientific work that I do. And ultimately, what I'm passionate about is producing knowledge that helps us understand inequities in our society and to take action on these inequities. So, by partnering with Unite Us, we have national coverage with our business. We can generate data that gives us insights to what's working well and what isn't across the nation, and we can produce real-time evidence of inequities. And we also have an intervention in the form of systematically connecting people to these vital resources that could actually serve to level the playing field for children and families and, and people. And that's the piece that's most exciting to me about this transaction.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's incredible, and I I think maybe it's a good segue too into on one hand, you know, as you look ahead, as you said, your head's down right now, helping with the transition, very important to the uh, strategic roadmap for Unite Us as as NowPow takes its next step as part of a larger organization. But do you think that the experience that you've been through will lead you to another venture? Do you see yourself getting back into that game and doing it again? Or are you so exhausted and fatigued <laughs> that uh, you are saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to stop this? Or, and maybe this is a multi uh, faceted question. Yeah. There are others around you that depend on you, they rely on you, and your, whether it's your lab mates or your coworkers or families, how do you kind of think about that in the context of, of balance? can you do these all consuming things you know for you know it's a long sprint you know mm-hmm. that you were involved in now for the past several years i guess my questions are one will you do it again and number two if you're doing it again are you able to kind of maintain an equilibrium or a balance as you go about building and scaling a company
1: yeah well you know rachel i think one thing that bears comment and i we haven't had a chance to talk about it on the emotional front and on the transition to the next thing aside from our our workforce our employees our associates our customers have been incredibly front of mind through this transition and i think a lot of the emotional energy not just making them f- helping them to see the vision we see in this but also handing off those relationships, with which Rachel has she has made friends and probably it's fair to say even extended family <laughs> <laughs> among mm-hmm. our our incredible customers. So I think it's worth saying a little bit about that, and that that's a process. You know, you don't turn off the lights on your customers. You have yeah. to cultivate these relationships, and sure. those need to be tucked in. I think before we go on. To the next thing, but yes, the ideas are already percolating. Yeah, yeah
0: I can imagine. <laughs> Rachel,
1: what do you want to say about it? <laughs> you know, well, some of our Stacey, customers, Stacy was
2: saying all these people were coming at her and and you know wanting to partner on things. And I said, "Well, you already have a partner." <laughs> That's right. And I turned them all down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I do want to talk a minute about the impact it has on others around us. And I'd say, one again, one of the benefits of working with such a young team was their focus on, you know, work-life balance and well-being. And that taught me a lot um, because I was used to working whenever and working through the weekend. So was Stacey. That's just how, you know, our generation did it. You just took the hill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they were like, stop emailing me on the weekend. And, you know, so we started putting boundaries up that, like, after – Our news and nosh on Fridays at 5, you know, we didn't get on until 1 o'clock on Sunday when sometimes we would come together, especially in the pandemic. But we did try to create boundaries and also pay real attention to mental health and self-care that you can't show up for your family or for your team if you're not taking care of yourself. And as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you know that too, John, that it's so important to be able to be fully present for for and, and go the mile because it is sometimes grueling. And mm-hmm. so I'd say, you know, that is the first and foremost um, thing that I learned and I focused on mm-hmm. was was taking care of you as a priority.
0: Yeah, no that's that's excellent and, and and inspirational as well. I'm and maybe, you know, as we begin to wind down the conversation, which is this has been a complete joy mm-hmm. speaking with each of you and I'm so so excited for what you've accomplished and what the possibilities are of what could come next also. But maybe as we close, if each of you has kind of one piece of advice for the next generation of entrepreneurs behind you, that would be thinking about exploring this path for themselves? Any, any advice uh, to the positive or to the, to the negative?
1: Well, don't do it alone, partner. Right. And I said <laughs> my first one was find a partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's, that's good advice a good for, partner. <laughs> for entrepreneurship and for life. I mean, mm-hmm. a good partner <laughs> is, is essential to mm-hmm. all important ventures. Um, I, can't, I cannot emphasize that enough.
2: I would say work on a big problem, or at mm. least a real problem. Yeah. And, you know, it attracts great talent. It keeps them going yeah. when the going gets tough, as inevitably it will. And that, I think, meant the world to us. I'd say the last thing for me, and I I tell this, and I get laughed at when I say this, which is know that every day as an entrepreneur, every hour you're in sales. And if you can't embrace that, I'd probably not start down that road.
0: Yeah. No, I I often say that, too. Mm -hmm. You're just on a constant roadshow. Right. Right. you it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, on
2: so many dimensions on every dimension. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly.
0: It's still, it's really right. what you're in the business of doing right. as a, as an entrepreneur right. or a CEO or, or scientific founder is telling your story over and yeah. over and mm-hmm. over and over again <laughs> yeah. and repeating it right. and then even iterating that story right. along the way. And so if you're not excited about that, right. then it probably isn't the right pathway for you.
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it is about just telling it, as Stacey says, telling it to as many people as you can. And yeah. that's how we actually found each other. Yeah. But being comfortable with that is, I think, the key to uh, success uh, as an entrepreneur. You
1: know, if I can add one last thought, you know, in, in life sciences entrepreneurship, the only way an idea comes to market is if it's been tested on real people. And ideas are formed in a place, in a community, with, and, and benefit from the participation of real people. And I just would call on all entrepreneurs to think about how can your venture return value to the community where your ideas were formed? Do not forget the debt of gratitude you owe to the community where your idea was formed and tested and validated. And I think the world would be a much better place if ventures deliberately considered those communities as they grew and thrived.
0: Profound statements uh, upon which we will end this podcast today. I am forever thankful for your presence today and grateful for our friendship and our partnership and would love to be considered a co-conspirator as you think about your next idea. And uh, How much time do you have? So that right? we can continue to I want to
2: see a circle up on that wall. <laughs> Stacy Rachel endeavor. Yes. But it's
0: been a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guests today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at unicornscom We welcome any of your comments feedback ideas if you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing that is all goodbye